you are listening to Necropolis on Hessian Throne. Please visit hessianthrum.com for metal reviews, interviews, analyses, lifestyle articles, as well as releases from the label. Welcome to Necropolis. This is episode 14. We've gone a great ways with this podcast, and I'm very, very fortunate to have many, many great guests on here, which have helped this podcast grow over time. Uh, today's guest is a really interesting character. Um, he's kind of ticked off a lot of people online with uh, his YouTube channel, Scale It Back. But uh, we have Jerry from Scale It Back, who does a lot of uh, videos, just kind of expressing his thoughts on the current state of metal, um, uh, criticizing some of the sacred cows out there. Um, and a lot of the times, you know, the reactions to his videos may not be that positive um but he is expressing a lot of good points and opinions in regard to the topics that he's just you know discussing on his channel so i thought it'd be really great to have on necropolis thank you very much jerry thank you very much for having me yes sir and we also have mr shelley coming back once again uh i kind of i kind of view like you know this is like joe rogan and i have my my guest that's on the program a lot I was like, Shelly, bring that up on the internet. So I bring up a picture of that or bring up a video, you know, like <laughs> he's kind of like into the Necropolis family that much now where he's pretty much like a co-host almost, but uh, um, he's joining us today to add to discussion. Um, so thank you very much again, Shelly, for being back on the program. Oh uh, yeah. It's great to be back. Thank you. Yeah. Yes, sir. Thank you. So Jerry, um, Let's go talk about your most prolific video that you've done about five months ago. And the title of the video is Blood Incantation Sucks. Here's why. And I noticed just the comment section on that video was freaking absurd. It was like when something goes viral on Reddit and everyone just bashes it. Um, like, you know, it's like, oh, this guy's just a troll, blah, 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 blah. And the, soy face and all that um so what was the reasoning behind approaching doing that video in such a contra controversial and confrontational manner where you flat out say blood incantation sucks here's why in the title and also in the video itself you play a little section of one of their songs when they performed on adult swim and you just pause the video and you just go look at the camera and you just say that sucks <laughs> and yeah. presenting it yeah, well, like you know you're talking to the fans like why why would you approach it in such a domineering manner like that well first of all i, I never really intended to have an audience i don't understand what catches fire online i don't understand how things trend how things are suggested to you um the reason i did the channel uh, I wanted to do the channel for a while because I have always had, um, I think about music all day. I think about metal all day. I'm very inspired by, by metal. And uh, I realized I wasn't really listening to anything current within the last century or so. And uh, I hear about these bands that are the new champions of the genre. So I, I check it out. And I, I was, you know, disappointed by what I heard from, from this particular band. And I think that with how, uh, with how the modern metal genre has become, anything that kind of ticks the right boxes for having the right aesthetic or the right sound will 
get the free pass and will get people to to like it. And you know, I get it. I I'm a sucker for nostalgia. If you look at my my videos, if you look around my apartment, it's it's full of posters of shitty horror movies from the eighties. And you know, that's, that's my life. I live nostalgia. I totally get that it clouds reason, but I'm still able to hear um, good songwriting when I'm looking for it. And the main issue I had with blood incantation is that the songwriting is just really poor. And I, I have been a songwriter for many years and people don't hear what I do. They don't care about what I do. And I've never been an audience focused musician. I'm going to write my music the way I do it, regardless of who's listening. Uh, but I, I still can hear these, these arrangements and I can tell based on how songwriting works. Yeah. When they're riff salad. Incantations riff salad. And you, you spent 30 minutes talking about how the riff salad essentially, and a lot of bands approach it like they do where there's like, Oh, that sounds cool. And they just keep stitching together things that sound cool without actually thinking about how the song progresses it's like you know everything's just bob your head to it without thinking and that's how i think they approach it but they succeeded on that uh marketing aspect where you look at the aesthetic that they're presenting i mean it's completely marketable stuff i can see why it grew as big as it did um as far as the confrontational aspect of how i'm talking to the fans yeah it's it's pretty shitty but I have done my best growth uh, in terms of who I am and understanding myself and understanding myself as a musician as well by confrontational people. You know, if you go through life having people tell you everything that you're doing is right and everything that you're doing is good, yeah, you're, not going, you're not going to grow. And if I, if I just leave a, a gentle note about the things that they're doing wrong, it's not going to be listen to and i know that people are going to click on the video and be like what is this guy talking about i'm going to get ready to hate this and that's yeah, totally Jerry. fine Jerry. But either way yeah Jerry, Jerry, let me let me say something i'm sorry for jumping in on you um back in 2013 you were featured on a confrontational website called deathmental.org and i was actually one of the commenters on there bashing one of your bands um has that website influenced your approach uh, was scale it back where you just express all of your opinions and you don't really care um, if people are ticked off by them. Well, yeah. And, and I, at first I was one of those people. I uh, was confident in what I did and I was not prepared for criticism of my work. Right. And I had people be really shitty to me and it, it caused me not to, well, I was of course defensive as anyone would be, but it caused me to reflect on what I was doing and think like, am I writing from the wrong perspective? Is there yeah. things that I'm doing that is, is making this composition fail? Because I do have, I do have friends that are uh, like, I don't, I don't understand music theory. I say it in every video that I have to, that I'm not a trained musician. I'm not a school musician, but I do have uh, acquaintances that are music professors. And from time to time, I'll, I'll share my stuff with them. And I do get, you know, glowing reports, but I, it doesn't help me. You know, the one thing that did help me was that uh, it, one of them did tell me that, that I, that I settle in keys and I don't stretch outside of, of a particular key easily. And are they uh, uh, classical music professors? Yes. Interesting and, because uh, in classical music, the, the way classical music evolved uh, during the romantic period, 
um, they were not into quote unquote riffs. They were into thematic melodies that are fully developed. And, you know, the return to those melodies and it grows even more and more and more. And that's what makes up like a symphonic movement is having one thematic melody and it growing during the course of the duration of that movement. Um, so what I noticed with your band, uh, is, is it pronounced era? Uh, it's pronounced Ara. Ara. Okay. It's, a, um, it's the name of a star. So I don't really yeah. know. So your music, um, with Ara, um, which I would say kind of falls into the camp of like the newer gore guts and, uh, origin kind of sounding riffage, but it also has some sections that are chugs. So, um, it's kind of just like the texture of chugging and then there but there are some refs in it but from a classical music standpoint like a someone who actually criticizes music from a classical background they would shit all over that for being a uh, riff oriented with not having thematic melodies um like uh anton bruckner are you familiar with that composer not familiar no so anton bruckner with his zero symphony he wrote this really great first movement in my eyes, you know, being a metal fan and all that. And it starts off a fucking riff. And I think it was, yeah, it was a zero. That's why he called it a zero because the classical music critics slammed it because there was a riff as the main theme. It wasn't a thematic melody. It was just like this dun, 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 which is a riff. Um, so it's kind of interesting that from... A professor's point of view from a classical music background that he actually likes what you're doing riff wise um with the keys well, her, her criticism was of my other work with a band called concentric she likes what i do with my death metal stuff but she doesn't approach it from that same perspective i see i see so she doesn't approach it from like a complete classical music here's what the the melodies are comprised of here's how everything stitch again stitch together and here's how we return to the main you know theme of each song she doesn't really approach it like that does she no um, okay she's just talking about the keys that you're playing in like you know um augmented whatever into whatever you know the progression of the the notes that you're playing correct yes but she did say that i did i i wasn't showcasing the ability to branch out and change keys successfully. And that was something I never really took on because I didn't understand the concept, but hearing that criticism opened up a path for me to still express myself and be who I was while uh, finding a new format to better depict my ideas. So that was an example of, of criticism being successful. And with, with deathmetal.org, that criticism helped as well because yeah, they, they, they flat out executed you on there. I recall and it. Totally, and that's fine. I don't care. You know, it's I'm, I'm uh, attempting to express myself and to learn how to do it in the best possible way. And if me getting my message across to people is muddled by inconsistencies and there's ways that I could still have it be like unfettered, but improved based on, you know, outside perspectives i'm all for it i'm not afraid of it and i think most people don't want to hear that they they are settled in who they are and they don't want to compromise and not that what i did was compromise but what i did was it i i think that i got better 
at being who I am. Yeah, one thing I noticed about you on there was that you actually responded to everyone. You expressed your point of view, and you didn't seem to get upset, um, which is you know testament that you have thick skin, which I think most musicians need thick skin because ultimately you're going to get criticized. And how you handle that criticism is very important. You can't, you know, just piss off people, you know, whenever they criticize you and, you know, just write them off. You have to actually look at what they're saying and see if it's actually conducive and, you know, can help you improve um, like you have with that uh, music professor. But I don't know how much music theory actually helps like a death metal guitarist. Um, I, I know a lot, plenty of people who get into uh an academic background in music, but when it comes to them writing uh, good songs, it doesn't really happen. They don't really have like that inner voice to express. Um, they just think about music theory and what actually, you know, is proven by time to work um, with, you know, different key changes and all of that, um, the chords and scales that they're using. So it's kind of interesting in that regard. Um, and that's kind of why I tried to avoid you know, I, I said in another video, if you don't want to learn something, if you don't want to know something nowadays, it has to be on purpose with the ease of YouTube. And I have deliberately avoided learning the actual basics of music, music theory, because I don't want to handicap my inner voice. I don't want to think about the mathematical formulas that work and don't work. I want to, I want to get better at what I'm doing, but I don't want it to be sullied by the rules. Right. Uh, to go back as uh, to go back to the the my responses on deathmetal.org i was polite and it's because even though they were lambasting me on there they took the time to listen whether it was for five seconds 10 seconds or a whole song they still took the time to listen and i know that with how inundated the internet is with with music if you take the time out of your day to listen to what someone's doing that's a huge favor you know, no one has the time for that shit anymore. So if they're going to give it a chance, even if they're there to like really take a shit on me, they still took time out of their day to listen to what I, what I did. And I, you know, I, I was still grateful for it. So you've grown quite a bit since then too, with your approach with music and you consider that criticism that you received uh, quite positive, right? Cause it made you reflect on what you're doing and later uh, helped you grow as a musician. And now you have your YouTube channel criticizing other people. Other yeah. And I am, I'm way more gloves off with my channel because my channel is my house. If you come over to my channel and shit on me, I'm not going to be as polite as I was when I stepped into someone else's house with deathmetal.org where they're talking about my music. So if, if you're going to take the time, I'd like, I, there's, there's, what 99% of the internet is going to be full of stuff you don't like. If you're going to click on someone else's channel, click on someone's video and decide to attack them personally based on what they've said or done, like what kind of person are you? So, I mean, it's, it's for the most part, I ignore what I don't like, except for in this case, my, my video series is it's, it's coming from a selfish standpoint because I want to, I want to hear stuff that inspires me. Not that I think that I have the ego to foster any kind of growth within the metal genre. I didn't even think I would get anyone to listen to what I'm saying. So to be on a podcast about my channel is still insane to me. Uh, but I do know that uh, it only takes one record, one perspective to kind of turn the tide. And right now we really need someone to turn the tide. We need that record 
that really will inspire people to to try to open up their their minds to a different school of of composition or of thinking. And so I, I think there's still some good metal that's being released. Uh, last year, December 25th, I believe, um, the new Hate Force came out, Hour of the Centaur, and I fucking love that album. Like, uh, Hate Force kind of had this reputation of being like sonic wallpaper for a long time, but with their last album, you know, they, they took the immortal formula and they just kind of put it into their own little framework. Um, but the last album, they really fucking succeeded finally in my eyes. It's like their first album in 10 years. Yeah, I didn't even know that came out. It's fucking phenomenal. Um, it's not, you know, the most complex shit out there. It's very, you know, primitive. Um, but yeah, there's some heavy lifting that they did with that new album. There's some bangers on there. Um, very it, it, it made my day as soon as I heard that. I'm like, yep, that is the best album of the year. Um uh, Mr. Shelley, I know you wrote a review about them. Uh, what are your thoughts about that new hate for us? Well, yeah, it took me by surprise as well. Um, I still feel like it's the same hate forest formula, but every aspect of their sound was just juiced up um, quite a bit. So it was like you're getting the same thing, but there's much more energy and diversity to what they're doing on that record. So, yeah, it um, caught me off guard when they released that. Yeah, the riff structure is kind of, you know, that same formula that they used to have, but the riffs are better. Um, so the, there's not really, you know, a complex uh, compositional background with that, but it's just good shit. Um, like Godless Arrogance is not the most advanced stuff, but it makes this point across. Um, I did like that. Very cool. Yeah, I think that was one of the, the highlights from the past 10 years was a... Definitely godless arrogance. So, uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, I guess let's move on to uh, Mephitis. You recently made a comment on one of your channels that uh, Mephitis, uh, with them, we are being duped into thinking they are better than they actually are. Um, as a, a metal listener and a musician who's been into death metal since he is 12, um, I, I don't like to think that I'm being duped by a band into thinking they're better than they actually are. Where did that statement come from? Well, I don't think it's like them directly duping the audience. I think that we're, we, we are kind of so starved for hearing the stuff that we know we were inspired by when we were younger. And there is that, that hunger that was present in music is, is, of course, really hard to come by now. And when we hear a band that is able to tick all the right boxes with the aesthetic that they have going on, we are already like giving ourselves that mindset that this belongs to what represents who we are and what we've understood good metal to be. And, I, and when I heard Ember Dawn, that's, that's what it became to me. I understood the perspective that they were coming from. But for me... Uh, and and I, I know that the record was praised up and down. It was, the, the, it was, the, it was uh, I think, DMU's record of the year. I did give it a few listens. Um, it did not have the, the replay value for me. I think that the issue that I have with the band is that even though they are melodically centered, uh, the, the, the strength of the composition isn't really enhanced by the way the riffs interact with each other there. I don't feel like a strong climax and resolve to their compositions. I feel that kind of sonic wallpaper 
that you describe. And I think that the majority of it is because the the textures that they do, the the, the style of the band is primarily uh, you have one guitar laying down the chords uh, and there's another guitar over the top that's playing a melody that often sounds that it isn't really grounded. And uh, that, that kind of texture, uh, it works if the surrounding riffs don't share that same kind of uh, aesthetic. But a majority of what I'm hearing, especially on the off-scourings record, has that kind of style to it. So it ends up taking me out of the experience. And sometimes the, that high guitar kind of sounds a little bit silly, which is odd. Uh, and it, I, I, do, I do like what I'm hearing for the most part, but it, it, uh, I try not to talk about what I like. I try to talk about what works compositionally on my channel. Like I'll probably listen to the music and, and have it be something that I enjoy. But yeah. as far as being, being I, like, I would think they would be a straight up your alley. I know Shelly would think that too, with the kind of videos you put out with how riffs should be glued together or how, you know, the themes are flushed out during, you know, the songs. I think they succeed a hundred percent with that. Um, now my qualm with them, which is not really a qualm because I love what they're doing um is that there's not many catchy riffs um it's more something you need to listen to a couple of times to understand it's like oh this like the great structural work that they're doing and you know they're looking at it from a higher level like a bird's eye view rather than being you know the the trees in the forest essentially you know experiencing that it's more of like this holistic type of uh uh, approach that they have and i think they succeed on that 100 percent. and shelly said that uh you know if this was released back in the early 90s it'd be an instant classic which i agree with that um mr shelly do you have any thoughts on what uh jerry said about mephitis well yeah just on the nostalgia point like i gave both the albums glowing reviews um because it wasn't just sort of blunt nostalgia in the same way as a blood incantation it was more continuing the project of some of the the classics of uh you know 1991 1992 it was sort of picking up where death metal left off when things started tailing off and you know death metal fell into groove metal and uh, things went a bit stale i felt like the fighters were revisiting that time and salvaging the best elements of it and presenting it in their own work um which is a very sort of it's a very different thing to just raw nostalgia um, and for me, yeah, I, I wouldn't say that um, their music is sort of, yeah, finale driven or like structural in that sense, but I wouldn't say it has to be. I'd, I'd say it's the joy of it is more witnessing these intertwining riffs uh, connect up and unfold in unexpected and ambiguous ways. And I think they do that far better than any band I've heard in recent years, to be honest. And there is a tension to what they do that I enjoy. The the, the ways that the melodies resolve and don't resolve will will make you captivated. And uh, I don't think that it, when, when I approach this band, I already know that they're head and shoulders above most of what is being produced today. Uh, but unfortunately, the hype hit me before I was able to get give it a fair listen. And I, I do agree that it's it, that they're a band that you have to listen to many times to kind of pick up on everything. And what I did notice about uh ember dawn versus off scourings is that the 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 melodies on the, the previous record were were much shorter and to the point and they were usually like 
maybe two note driven, like a, a quick uh, rush and recede. Uh, and the new one is, is, is way more expansive in terms of how the, the melodic structure lies. Uh, I, my, my, only, my only qualm with them is, and I do, I do see the themes being developed. I see the themes being modulated and manipulated. And, uh, and I do see that they are uh, prone to sticking to a few themes per songs to advance the greater whole of the record. Uh, but it just it feels like their overall approach and command and how they present it just isn't as uh, dynamic enough to keep my attention to the point where the I can tell that the building blocks of the songs will enhance each other in tandem. Uh, I think that it, for me, their their overall aesthetic and their approach and their sound is what I'm going to remember about the band and not like an artistic statement as far as what this album represents, what this song represents. Yeah, the, the main criticism I've heard about Mephitis, and I have a lot of friends who have heard it, um, the, the newest one, Off Scourings, is that it just lacks a lot of catchy riffs. It's more of like brain food, I would say, um, when you kind of approach it from like a musician's standpoint to see what they do, it clicks really well because there's, there's context given, you know, with how the riffs flow together and where the songs take you. There's a distinct, distinctive character to each song, and it's impeccable in that way. My only, my only uh, qualm with it is the, the the riffs. Like, it's not catchy like Hate Forest, for example, which is very primitive but catchy. Uh, I would say Mephitis is on the opposite spectrum, where it's very heady. It's very intelligent music. Um, and I think it would, you know, to Shelley's defense, I think it would be a classic if it was released, you know, in the early nineties, it's like, boom, here's, you know, this really advanced type of death metal. And if the newest one, I think they actually have a lot of progressive elements and avant-garde elements, which actually branches beyond metal. Yeah. yeah and I, I think you can see that also in, in the overall presentation, right down to the cover art. You're not going to see most death metal bands, most metal bands just put their four faces on a cover. That's something you see more in like the prog rock. Genre. Yeah, the Beatles and King Crimson. <laughs> you know, so I think they're trying to showcase that uh, they, they're not confined to one genre voicing. And, and that's cool. You know, um, I, uh, I think that it's just something I need to spend more time with. Uh, I, I do agree that it's heady material. Um, and that there is that like when I listen to a full record of it, I'm not going to come away from it with a melody stuck in my head, even though it's so melodically focused. And I know that they're uh, deliberately esoteric on purpose. And I get it. My favorite records are, are records where I hear something new in it every time I listen to. I want that replay value, but I also want that that instant artistic statement. And I think that that is the, the hard thing to glean from them. You're going to get it with the repeated listens, but uh, the, the, the initial, the first impression you get from the band is, is a little bit too clouded to, to represent a genre classic for me. Okay, well, one thing that I kind of thought, um, you know, if my criticism, criticism that I just gave that band where there's not a lot of, you know, blatantly catchy uh, riffs. I mean, there's good riffs in there, but it's not something that you can, you know, sing along with or hum or, you know, stuck in your mind, as you said. Um, 
what do you think about the aspect that, you know, I'm 36 now. I don't know how old you are, but I would think you're in the same age range. Uh, I think Shelly's like 31 or 32. Um, we've been exposed to a shit ton of metal. Um, like, if I listen to Morbid Angel now, I can appreciate it from more than a heady stance and a soul stance. Like, I, I love, you know, what they did. And I think they're the, probably the best, you know, metal band ever. Um, but when I listen to him, I don't have that same feeling that I had as when I was a teenager listening to them. I, I appreciate it more from, uh, almost like a bird's eye view. Um, and I still consider them, you know, one of the best, you know, death metal bands, but I don't get that same, you know, endorphins going in my mind whenever I, uh, I listen to them again, um, as an adult. So do you think that just being older and, listening to so much metal has kind of taken away some of uh the the initial experience that you would have if say you were a teenager and you listened to Mephitis for the first time would you have a, a different type of experience with it well yeah and i i touch on that on, on one of my other videos with how when metal was new to me before i understood how music worked on even a basic level it was all so exciting that I immersed myself in the experience and uh, I, I didn't think about uh, the interlocking of anything. I just was, I was so, uh, so into the aesthetic of the music and so into the ideas that went behind it or what I imagined the ideas to be. And I think that this is, this is the disconnect. This touches on the disconnect here between modern audiences. Like when I was, a, when I was young, and I would hear Morbid Angel, like I would sit with my friends and be like, these guys must have sold their souls to the devil to be this good, you know, silly shit you say as a kid. Uh, but my experience with metal, it was I wanted to, I wanted to try to understand the experiences of the world, of outside people from myself. I wanted to hear something and try to understand the players and see where they came from. I was really intrigued by the outside world. And I think that modern audiences want to hear themselves in every product that they hear. And when, when you approach like the modern metal formula, when you approach like scalar music and, and open chugs, uh, you can, you can hear, you can hear yourself in that kind of playing because it's purely superficial. You can listen to that and say, that person practiced their instrument. I can understand myself practicing an instrument and I can understand myself coming up with a heady rhythm that is like polyrhythmic. That stuff is easy to glean from. Whereas the, uh, the approach of a morbid angel and the composition of a morbid angel is not something you can emulate easily. So I think that the modern audience nowadays is so ego fueled and so, so destroyed by the sense of social media and, and that that constant retrieval of of people fueling their their uh, instant gratification that they don't want to hear the outside world they don't want to hear something adventurous they want to hear themselves and they want a shared experience with a player that they don't know because even though they're getting all that gratification they're so starved for legitimate human interaction well, I think this falls on a, a lot of psychological aspects about what people like with aesthetical experience. There's a the vast majority of people who would say they like certain bands or projects, whatever, 
Um, they do it more from a stance that they hold it in adornment, where it's kind of like an extension of their personality rather than dissecting what they're actually listening to. It's like, oh, like I, I, I love my boss at work, but she recommended a uh, pop song with a, uh, it's like, Jason, you'll love this because there's piano in it because I, I play piano and I listened to it. It was like, oh, no, 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 no. Like, this is not, <laughs> not up my alley whatsoever. But, um, a lot of people, they, they hold things in adornment, like an extension of their personality. Like you said, it's like they want that immediate relation to the sound, sound and the texture of, you know, what they personally like and feel. Um, which, granted, I think everyone does to an extent. It's like we love that old death metal styling, which, you know, there's these bands that, um, like OSDM, I, you did a video on that, Um uh, the Encanto clones um, and how they miss the mark in a lot, a lot of those projects. Um, but, uh, you know, a lot of people are drawn to that. It's like, well, it reminds you know, the nostalgic feeling or whatnot, but um, the, the textural components of them make them feel good. It's like, you know, whatever they're drawn to in death when all those bands are capturing. Um, I just think, you know, ourselves, like we've kind of delved beyond the surface a little bit and see all the components of what it's comprised of. And uh, they, these, these you know, Encanto clones or whatever you want to call them, um, the, a lot of those Dark Descent, you know, projects, they kind of miss the mark um, with composition and creating interesting, you know, songs. Rather, they, they focus on a specific texture, and it succeeds in that aspect where people can draw you know, either they're nostalgia or an extension of the personality, like holding an adornment. Um, what are your thoughts on that, Shelley? You haven't spoken that much today. Yeah, I mean, um, I think that's one of the reasons why people jump on a, a video that criticizes their favorite bands, because it's not it's not just a criticism of the artist. It's a criticism of part of their personality. And I don't think they're expecting someone to go into such depth and, you know, point out the intricacies of the composition. Um, in terms of like, yeah, going a little deeper, I was just thinking a good example of that would be, so like Obscura is probably Gorgot's best album, but it's deeply unpleasant to listen to. And I don't approach it very often because it's an undertaking in the same way that Offscourings, I would say it's a better Mephitis sound than Ember Dawn but I prefer Ember Dawn uh, because it has these more like familiar aspects and there is there are, there are elements to it that stimulate um, not just my intellect, but also um, my imagination as well. Um, but Off Scarrings is a really sort of dense, um, you know, almost intimidating piece of music, um, which takes a while to kind of connect up the dots in a similar way to an album like Obscura. Um, and that's really much more of an intellectual pursuit than like you were saying how listening to Morbid Angel for the first time, like that's much more of like that feeling when you get, when you've discovered something new, but you don't quite understand it. And you don't have the vocabulary. Whereas now we're approaching these much more sophisticated works and we want, we want that kind of level of detail and that thought behind it rather than just a random mishmash of, you know, textures that will tick a few boxes on like the OSDM, you know, style or whatever. Yeah, it's not to shit on, you know, a lot of this OSDM, even though I've, I've, you know, criticized them quite a bit on this podcast, because I think there's potential there if they approach it differently, more of like a compositional standpoint, 
um, rather than, you know, it's like, oh, I love Incantation. Let's do a band that sounds like them or something similar to that. Um, kind of having their own intuition and inner voice that they want to express and uh, refining it to such a, an extent where it is authentic. Um, it, it, not everyone's capable of doing it. There's a lot of people that are capable of emulating things they like, but not um, actually having their own specific uh, idiosyncratic nature with it. If you know what I mean with that, Jerry. Oh yeah. And uh, that that's the issue that I, that I took on with that video is I, I can see that they're able to get that aesthetic down, but they're wrapping those aesthetics around like a pop song arrangement kernel where you have, your, your tidy verses and your tidy choruses and you have your outro and it sounds ugly. It sounds like your old school death metal, but there's, there's no sense of like the riff journey that an old school death metal song took you on. It really is just that very simple arrangement that has been known to work for mass audiences, that pop song arrangement, which tells me that there's no, there's no like mental planning to your music you're just coming up with your riffs and trying to make them work in a tried and true arrangement form. And there's nothing that's really death metal about that. Oh, I, I think it's death metal as in the modern interpretation of what death metal is. Um, granted, I know you had that video about what actually killed the metal genre, but I think uh, the, uh, the short span of commercial success of death metal where you have morbid angel selling a shitload, you have cannibal corpse, you know, being on salary, which is unheard of. Um, and a lot of, you know, extreme metal, um, and just succeeding on that level. Um, it was really short lived. It's only a few isolated incidents. Um, uh, a lot of these projects, they have to have day jobs, um, they're not like, you know, rock music where it's like one year they make $200,000, you know, per individual in the band or even more. Um, these guys, they have to go out like Fenris from Dark Throne worked at the post office for a while. He probably still yeah. does. Um, and I think he ran for mayor or some shit. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, the, the commercial success from Death Metal, I think, is more of like a fluke where you know, some major label took a chance on uh, what was currently rumbling in the underground. Um, I, I think death metal should stay in the underground. Um, I don't think, you know, it's culturally relevant. Um, sure. There's a subculture associated with it, which was thriving in the nineties, but as time went on, a lot of the, the main players in that subculture, they either changed their sound or they decided to uh, just leave um so actually, I, uh, go ahead. I actually um wrote an essay on this a while ago on hate meditations um using immolation to kind of chart this decline um but basically saying that you know they released dawn of possession and then got kicked off roadrunner which was kind of a metaphor for well, how death metal was treated by uh, the mainstream music industry but then in the late 90s they released some of their most sophisticated works which a few of the older death metal bands did, like Incantation, Gorguts, um, The Chasm, and a few others. Um, but then throughout the 2000s, the more they tried to appeal to trends within metal, like I mentioned Behemoth um, being a very kind of on-trend artist in the 2000s in Immolation, trying to mimic that. And then um, the various kind of 
stages of their sound slowly decaying in quality, the more they tried to appeal to that. Um, but also just saying like, they're honest musicians. They seem like really good guys in interviews and they, they all work day jobs as well and they do what they can. But it kind of, it's very representative of the way that metal, death metal kind of declined over that period. Yeah, I think it was more of like a, a flash in a pan for the commercial success for death metal. I would never actually say that, you know, it was something that was in the mainstream consciousness at any point in time, even when there was, you know, a hundred, you know, 200,000 albums of, you know, Morbid Angel or Cannibal Corpse selling, um, which I think Morbid Angel topped a hundred thousand. I'm sure they got to 200,000, but you compare that with a lot of the pop bands and all that out there. Um, they're able to sell over a million easily, you know, back when CDs were a thing. Now everything's like online and streaming, um, which kind of brings me up to another point. There's like this, uh, you know, we talked about the uh, internet and social media with, you know, like uh, extensions of your personality and what works with that, you know, you like and what you, doesn't work with that you don't like. Um, fortunately, we, all three of us, we uh, lived in an era where we were not raised on social media, um, where we could actually form, you know, a lot of our own opinions away from like the social constructs of society. Um, granted, there's a lot of people who stay away from social media or just use it sparringly to stay in touch with family and friends um, that, you know, they, they're still molding their own opinions on things. But then there's the crowd, the mob online, where it's just a, this great echo chamber. Um, like you saw in your blood incantation video comment section where everyone just wanted to flay you alive or criticizing one of the sacred cows. So it's kind of interesting in that regard. Um, Jerry, I, I think, uh, you know, before we started this episode, we we're talking a little bit about uh, Wisconsin is where you're from. You have that band, uh, Aira. I think I pronounced that correctly. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, and I'm thinking that, uh, the perhaps the scene there was not really conducive to the music you're making that um, perhaps the scene was not as metal as you thought a metal scene should be. Um, thus you took to YouTube and you started expressing your thoughts to a wider audience. Um, is that part of the, the rationale behind your uh, sudden, you know, take on doing YouTube videos and, um, all of that, which seems kind of abnormal for a musician to do. Well, the, the reason it came about was uh, everything was put on hold during the, the pandemic. And I, if I'm not making music, I have to at least be talking about it. I have to stop myself from writing music. I have, I have, ton I have way more unreleased, unrecorded material than I have recorded. Because if I sit down with a guitar, I can, I'll, I'll have music done and I have to force myself not to, because I'll just get bummed about it, not coming to fruition. So with, as far as Milwaukee, I did think that Milwaukee was this metal Mecca and it was like the promised land for, for people that were wanted to do metal. And uh, the reason I thought that was because when I was young, I would, I would, caravan here for milwaukee metal fest and i didn't realize that everyone that came to that was traveling i just thought that that's how it was here and i quickly realized when i went i went to college here that uh there was no real metal scene there was like really really terrible uh uh like shitty uh uh jump the fuck up kind of metal 
Um, and then metalcore had a huge scene here for a little bit, but there wasn't really much actual metal. But as far as the, the, the channel, I had been thinking about doing it for a while. And that because I was inactive musically, I wanted to still talk about metal. So I kind of started putting it together then. Uh, and uh, I, I've been making, I've been doing other, other music stuff on the side, but I, I can't just sit by the wayside and not be creative. And this isn't really scratching the same itch as making music, but it still is, is, is doing something within the metal umbrella. And uh, it, it's why I started this podcast actually, because uh, I was used to talking to people, going to shows and all that. And once COVID hit, um, I was just, what actually spawned this podcast one day I put on like uh, Amazon Prime and I watched like three movies in a row. And then I had to go look in the mirror and just look at myself. I'm like, what's wrong with me? And I was like, I need to have productive hobbies. Um, so thus I, I spawned Necropolis and I have this outlet now um, to talk to a lot of interesting people, which you're definitely one of those interesting people. Um, just to kind Thank of... That. Yeah, pick their brains a little bit to see what their motivations are and all that. But I definitely agree. So kind of come, we're cut from the same cloth in that regard, where, whereas I, you know, interview people and talk to them in roundtable discussions, you're just talking into a camera, expressing all your thoughts, <laughs> different topics. Um, and you, you raise a lot of good points. And like I said earlier, I wish they were not as confrontational. Um, I think that if you didn't piss off the fans of these projects, granted, there's always going to be someone who disagrees with you, but you go to that bloody incantation video. It's just like all this hate nonstop. Um, and what you should see now, what you should see now is somehow my, my video on Tosin Abasi got reddited yesterday and it got like 700 something views overnight. Damn. And the, the hate train for that one is even more virulent than the blood incantation one. And that one, I think that I had kind of settled into my approach online uh, in my video format where I was probably a little bit more uh, uh, successful at getting my points across. And my goal in that video was to showcase how that particular player has influenced the, the modern metal genre and now the, the YouTube guitar player uh, and, and made it essentially bite-sized chunks of metal-sounding music that everybody loves aesthetically, and it's reduced what was once a, a really powerful uh, genre or uh, an, an adjacent to a powerful genre to something that it never really represented. And that, that's what I tried to get across in that video, because that trajectory is something that people should really map. If you want to think about why things are terrible nowadays, you can, if you really do the, the, the research of how the, the stylings are coming across, you can, you can pinpoint it down to usually one record. Like you can look at what Meshuga did. You can look at what Dillinger Escape Plan did. What Slaughter of the Soul, which I watched your video on uh, At the Gates and you actually liked that in high school. <laughs> uh, which I did. I, I, I I would burn you at the stake for that. Um, yeah. And I'll, I'll admit it. You know, I'm not, I'm not ashamed of who I am, but you know, I was, I was in high school. I liked a lot of embarrassing shit in high school. I was like, I was a kid and it was at the right place at the right time. It was metal sounding and it had catchy melodies and it had songs that were easily digestible. And it was 
it also sounded vulnerable, which is what you are when you're a kid. So it spoke to me, you know, it doesn't have the kind of replay value or the kind of subtext or anything that the first two records does by a long shot, but it hits the right spot when you're young and you don't have any substance to yourself either. So I'll admit that I liked it then. Sure. I'm not going to hide behind like this overtly metal uh, persona, which I never really had. I'm a music fan first and foremost, and I love metal and I love what metal represents and I love good constructed metal. Uh, but, but yeah, you know, it's, it hit the right spot for a right time period. Shelly, what are some cringy things you listened to in high school? Oh, I was a new metal guy. My first album. Oh God. My Lincoln first album Park was all by, <laughs> I can see. My, I can see. It. First album I bought was Papa Roach. Oh God. <laughs> still own it but again i i own that as well uh well both physically but also own the fact that i used to like them because um as you say you're vulnerable um as a kid and you have a lot of emotions that you don't know how to express properly and also on a musical level you don't quite understand what's out there like that's long before i discovered you know bought my first emperor album which changed my entire perspective on metal from that day but yeah before that i was into all kinds of rubbish that's a good topic. Um, Jerry, what are some of your favorite, you know, metal albums ever? Ooh, metal albums ever. I mean, is, they, my, my, my personal opinion changes on this over time. You know, it's like each week it's like, well, what's the best Morbid Angel album? Blessed or Sick or Abominations or Altars? You know, my, my, my take on that changes by the week. But um there's a steady stream of like my favorite albums that I can go back to and listen to and really enjoy. Um, what are like three of those for you? Well, I, I really do love the first two incantation records. I love being taken to an environment that feels alien and dangerous. I, I love the, uh, the idea that uh, like, like how I said before, my, my idea of music consumption is, is I want it to be adventurous. I don't want to find myself in what I'm listening to. I want to be taken somewhere foreign and have it feel like a new experience. And I definitely got those out of the first two incantation albums. Um, so those, those are really up there. Um, as, as for a third, see, the, the hard thing with me is, you know, I'm a guitar player. I, I am always going to be attracted to uh, really well thought out melodies. And there's plenty of bands I listen to that have really, really well thought out melodies that aren't good songwriters. And uh, the band Anata from Sweden is one of those bands. Like I love the, the, the way they construct individual riffs. I think that their sense of melody really uh, showcases uh, uh, an individual persona that I don't really hear elsewhere but I don't think they're very great songwriters, but at the same time, I'll find myself humming their melodies and their melodies are really unique to them. So that element that we're missing from Mephitis is in that band, but Mephitis can construct a song, whereas Anata really can't. So when you ask for what my favorite stuff is, it's hard because like I, like I say in many videos, I like a lot of stuff that isn't good. And I understand that when I, when I listen to it, like I, I tell people in, in my videos, you know, sometimes I crave a Big Mac. I know it's not food. I know it's not good, but I want it. And that's sometimes how I consume metal too. I want to hear like, you know, uh, butchered at birth, something that I know isn't good in terms well, of butchered at, but, butchered at birth is actually 
pretty good album. I would say it's the best Cannibal Corpse album by far. And I would say it's yeah, I mean, I, I love album. it. I, I love it. And I, I love it primarily on an aesthetic level. I like that it sounds evil, you know, and I think that they they did have pretty decent songwriting on it. But uh, but yeah, it's it's really, really hard to to dilute my favorite records down to just three. Uh, it's it, because there's so many ways to 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 take in music. You know, I could talk about the best com- composition or I could talk about what I like and I could talk about what's influenced me. Uh, you know, I, it's, it's, a, it's, it's one of those things where people are going to be surprised by it too, but I liked the evolution of Cryptopsy going from uh, the first two records to Whisper Supremacy because I enjoyed what the guitar was doing. I understand that uh, Mike DeSalvo is not Lord Worm. I understand that the music was no longer strictly death metal, but I liked the way the voicings of the guitar had shifted to get you uh, a, an extreme metal palette. Uh, so there is elements of like more modern by modern, I mean like 97, that kind of cryptopsy sound in what I do, because I, I do like hearing um, the context of extreme metal guitar take different voicings that are, that are alien sounding in, uh, before you know as opposed to the the similar kind of voicings we're all used to hearing I like hearing that come out in in more extreme music and I understand that when you when you start developing your technique by utilizing outside genres you take it further and further away from what death metal is uh, but sometimes I want to hear that exotic sound and I think that a band like Mephitis is giving it to me they, I, I just really need to spend more time with it to fully digest what they're doing. Yeah, I think so too. Like, even though I mean, I like everything, like every each song, um, I like them on just a, a musical historical standpoint of what they're doing, and I appreciate you know guys trying to push the envelope of you know death metal or even taking metal beyond metal. Um, I, I definitely appreciate them for what they're doing. I know Shelly, you know, wants to write that love letter for them. It's like, hey, you guys, you know, you could be the the the, the true uh, saviors of metal, um, um, which, you know, I, I, I think, you know, could be like I, I'm able to entertain things outside of what immediately hits me. And what I noticed with Mephitis is that, you know, they, they get a lot right. Um but there's this element where me personally, my personal, what I like in music is catchy things, but I can appreciate them more on a intellectual level. Um, and I appreciate what they're doing hundred percent, you know, doing what they're doing. And, you know, there's a lot of uh, metal that may not resonate with me personally. Like when I was a teenager, I loved suffocation as an adult. I never want to listen to suffocation again, but I will say 100% that I appreciate suffocation for what they did do. And, you know, it's not something that I would ever want to revisit as an adult, um, just for my own musical intake for things that, you know, I derive pleasure from. But I can, you know, look at them and I can see their contribution of what they're doing or what they did and, you know, how it, you know, helped metal expand, you know, death metal expand even further. 
So I, I can look at it from two different angles from that aspect. Um, Shelly, I want to know a couple of your favorite albums. Um, you mentioned Emperor, which I assume is, you know, in the Nightside Eclipse. Yes. Um, yeah, because I massively got into black metal first. So Emperor, Burzum, uh, Baffery, really love Summoning. Um, and on the death, death metal side, I'd say Atheist, Unquestionable Presence, um, Deicide Legion, uh, definitely at the gates, first two albums. Um, and I think I mentioned this on a previous episode as well, but Therian, early Therian, um, I really, really enjoy as well. Um, yeah. And also just on the sort of metal adjacent stuff like uh, Godflesh, um, that kind of stuff I really enjoy because it kind of has the same almost like the philosophy of punk behind it, but um, in a, taking it in a really kind of crushingly brutal direction, but it's very what, different from... What I noticed with Godflesh of- is that they open up the element of space, um, kind of like a Lovecraft story, where it's very slow music, but um, there's not much going on with it, but, you know, it presents it in such a, a way. I mean, granted, you know, the way the wrists are, and, you know, it's all catchy music, but it, it, I, I get this aesthetical experience of it opening up the element of space, not outer space or anything, just like space in general. Um, like you're going to the Grand Canyon and you look at the vast space, you know, something like that, um, which I can really appreciate with how they express that. Um, Street, yeah, Cleaner, it's, it's- Street Cleaner is one of my favorite albums too, so. Yeah, and it's a rare commodity in extreme metal because it's obviously it's very dense music with a lot going on and there isn't much space. But I'd say for a similar kind of vibe, like um, Winter Into Darkness um, is, although that's a doom metal album, it's a very different style, but it does open up that space as well because it's really slow, hangs on notes for a very long time, keeps keeps that suspense. It's a very different feeling to like your standard death or thrash metal album. And to, to go to go off of like winter to go off of that sound, one of my favorite records that I always come back to is uh, the Skepticism AS record. I know that everyone loves the one before it more, but as far as like a a, a, a single track that really immerses me into a new headspace, I I love revisiting that record. It's it's just so slow and immersive, and the melodies are so. Uh, concrete that it really presents an entirely new world to to just envelop yourself in I, I i always come back to that record as well oh yeah definitely agree i um again the first time i heard skepticism i kind of thought i was well versed in all metal sub- subgenres but yeah first time being presented with them it was a very unique and new sound where you suddenly realize there's this whole new potential within within what they're doing Cool. Very cool. Very cool. Glad we got to touch upon some personal favorites of ours, you know, helped inject our personalities and identities into this, uh, this episode. I think it's one of the more interesting episodes in Acropolis where, uh, we actually have a rebel rouser on board. Um, so, uh, um, for ERA, we got into a discussion on YouTube the other day, just the comment section on one of your videos, where I said uh, Aero was uh, tech deaf and he wanted to say, it's like, no, we're technical death metal as if that's something different. Um, and your actual bandmate from that band jumped in there. It's like, well, I thought we were tech deaf too. And 
You opened up a huge can of worms saying that there's, you know, a distinction between tech death and technical death metal. If you want to expound upon that right now, because it seems like lunacy to me. <laughs> it's, it, it's silly. And I did say in the comment section that it's silly. Adam, our singer, is, uh, you know, Adam, I love Adam. He's not a traditional metal guy. He, he does love metal, but he's not like, he's not going to be thinking about metal and music all day long. Um, so he, he is more on the sidelines with it. But the reason why I wanted to keep us, uh, the reason I wanted to keep Ara separate from what tech death to me represents is that I, I don't feel that we belong to that headspace, to that, that compositional structure, to that, uh, that overall approach or presentation of what tech death now is and i know that it's it's mincing words and it's silly but to me uh my you know my my taste with metal uh got fully fleshed out in the mid to late 90s and my trajectory for what i try to do within the metal umbrella resembles what bands like suffocation and deeds of flesh and uh those kind of bands were doing not what deeds of flesh is now but uh, you know, inbreeding and um, the path of the weakening, that kind of stuff is way more what, what is in my wheelhouse. And uh, when I hear what tech death is now, would I hear what um, Archspire and those kind of bands are? It's, it's in no way grounded in what my musical approach is. And I, I know that there, there should be some kind of difference because right now what, what those kind of bands are is, like I said, they're, they're pop song arrangements with noodley guitar that's scalar and open chugs to get the audience to be grounded in what you're doing. And that is written from an audience first standpoint. That's not like any kind of catharsis for the player. It's really just taking a formula whether it's your arrangement formula or your riff styling formula or the formula for what you know captivates an audience and letting that steer your composition. And that's right. never the background from what I, I've written from. Like okay. I'm way more grounded in what the, the mid to late 90s were doing and tech death now is completely divorced from what technical death metal is. And while okay. you can... Go ahead. Uh, the argument that I had on that post was that technical death metal itself is a loaded term because on paper, like if you were a college professor and you had, you know, two students come up, it's like, well, I'm just, you know, Jason. And then the next guy comes up and it's like, well, I'm technical Jason. You're going to think <laughs> technical Jason is going to be better than just Jason because he's going to be more advanced in some way. So that's why it's kind of a loaded term, technical death metal where you look at Morbid Angel, for instance, no one considers them a technical death metal band. They just say they're death metal. But what they do is technical. Um, you cannot deny that whatsoever. What they do is highly technical. And yeah. you look at, you know, the, the label of tech, technical death metal just means like the the guys who might might have been influenced by necrophagists and playing you know, a lot of crazy you know riffs that you know very complex and all that um it just seems like a loaded term and once we get into tech death versus technical death metal we are splitting hairs 
beyond reason. And I know you say you don't want to be you know, categorized and with Artspire, which I did listen to them for the first time after you dropped their name. And it was like a wanky berserker, you know, almost like Deathcore. And uh, which Deathcore, I would say, uh, I have another topic after this, but uh, um, I would say, you know, it's just beyond splitting hairs once we get into uh, what is tech death versus technical death metal? We're not talking to average metalheads here. We're not talking to the average death metal fan. We're not talking to, we're talking to like the 1% once we actually split a hair that far where you don't want to be in this broad category of technical death metal that includes bands that you consider tech death. Um, I would just say it's like, you know, the damage is done. We already had this label of technical death metal. Let's just live with it and you know let it be now you know like you mentioned nocturnus and things like that yes people thought they were technical and they had these sci-fi elements with the keyboards and all that it made them very unique but i don't believe back in the day they were classified as technical death metal i think they were just considered like sci-fi death metal things of that nature where there was a lot of technical aspects to the music which you know made them stand apart for being phenomenal right. musicians but that label of technical death metal did not exist in the early 90s. So I, I, I just think it's really we're splitting hairs beyond reason and rationality at this point. Um, Shelley, do you have any thoughts on that? Um, well, I think it is an unfortunate term, um, a bit like the term progressive, which I'm not a fan of either. It means a very specific style of metal or when it's applied to any particular genre. But again, it, you know, it implies that, you know, bands or music that doesn't have that term applied to it is not progressive or it's not technical and also technical is is a relative term like technical death metal does imply a greater degree of like density and complexity and showmanship but it wouldn't be technical compared to some genres um the purpose of language is so that we can understand each other um if it performs that function then therefore the language works and you know, as long as we have a common understanding, then there's no reason to um, dispense with it. Uh, so, yeah. And there's, and, and I understand that it's getting silly. And I've had other review sites call our uh, an old school death metal band, which I disagree with as well. We're not that, you know, I never intended it to be that either. Um, but the way I look at it is, is these, these names for genres don't necessarily you don't necessarily glean the sound from the name anymore. Like if you look what alternative music was, alternative music was supposed to be an alternative to pop and then it became pop and then they still called it alternative and it didn't mean anything. And that's kind of where we're heading now with some of these genre titles and technical death metal should not be a genre, shouldn't be a subgenre, but unfortunately, unfortunately it became one. And now what I'm hearing from, from all these newer bands that call themselves tech death, is way more in line with what deathcore is than what anything under the metal umbrella is. Right. So um, what, do you, what do you think about Hate Eternal? Um, the first album um, definitely had, had the guy from Suffocation in there writing the best songs. But he goes yeah, speaking after, of people that disappeared. Yeah. Once you go beyond that, um, I mentioned this in the comments on that YouTube video too, where I actually see a great like metalcore, deathcore type of you know influence coming from Hate Eternal um, with Eric Rutan. Um, not writing riffs, more of just like texture, 
which I would call deathcore, you know, 100% texture and percussion, um, not riffs. And you get that from Hate Eternal. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think that Hate Eternal, unfortunately, becomes the wallpaper music that we were talking about before. I think that the idea of Hate Eternal is to just have the dynamics pushed to the max where you feel blindsided for the entirety of a record. And Origin does the same thing. Like, I, I know that his headspace is, I want you to feel like you're being ravaged for the entirety of the record. And when you do that, you lose the meaning between your songs. You lose the meaning between your riffs. Uh, you, you have to have that sense of dynamics to give so, importance. Oh, Jerry, Jerry, I was actually on an Origin album, and I know Paul. Um, Paul says he just wants to make death metal. You know, he does it from a very high you know musicianship level uh, very technical level but if you were to speak to him he's like no i just make death metal he does he doesn't even go by that classification of technical death metal um so and you're saying they're more resembling like in deathcore but origin they have riffs and they have a lot of um they have a kind of you know, granted, it's not like old school death metal or anything that, you know, we're into 100%, but I think they actually do have some riffs in there and some leads that are, you know, beyond, you know, capability of the average musician to ever perform. Um, just phenomenal musicianship and with the sweeps and all that. Um, it was kind of interesting. Like, I wouldn't really consider... Either there are some points in uh, Origins music where I would kind of consider it as like kind of like on par of like what Hate Eternal does, and yeah. um, there's that aspect of you know the the texture right, um, and the texture being the main motivator um, behind the the musical presentation. It's just like you know, but the the thing that I noticed between Hate Eternal and Origin. Origin has riffs, you know, we're talking about, you know, you're in era um, and that band, I would say is more closely, you know, resembling origin than uh, hate eternal by far. Yeah. And, and I, that's totally fine. As far as where origin has gone, uh, I feel like their trajectory for me uh, fell off pretty hard after the one guitar player left and did unmerciful. And now Paul is the main guy. Like he's a, he's a nice dude. I have, I've met Paul as well. Uh, and, and he's, I don't think he intends to direct the music at the audiences the way it kind of comes across, but the, the formula for what origin is now has been defined almost too clearly where, you know, what you're getting before their, their new records are going to drop now. And I just, I think that they had way more potential before when they had two guitar players to like kind of give you more of what death metal resembles it doesn't really feel that way to me now when i when i listen to that band but as far as what hate eternal does uh it's i i can i can tell it's rutan you know of course like his style is so particular but but yeah it's it's just a, it's a barrage it's it's a barrage where you can pick out like sliding octaves over it occasionally and uh to me, it's just when you when you're trying to get that aesthetic across so hard, when the aesthetic is the focus, that's definitely more akin to what you're going to hear in death metal or in, in death core and metal core than what you'll hear in death metal, which has way more nuance. Right. Um, 
So I would definitely say Origin. Um, they, they do kind of have some of those tropes that Hate Eternal has um, with uh, the texture and all that. I actually compared uh, one of their songs, I forget it was called, you know, Side by Side of a Hate Eternal song, and which I believe the Origin song came out before the, the Hate Eternal one did. And I was like, well, Origin did it better, but <laughs> like uh, um, they're, they're, there's kind of that textual aspect, you know, they very, you know, high level of musicianship and, um, and you know, they might, you know, focus a little too much on that with the, the textual aspect that comes from that. But, you know, I, I think the more influenced like uh, by death metal and grind, um, you know, especially like one some of the more advanced, you know, grindcore bands and all that. Um, so I wouldn't say they're like they're 100 percent death metal at all. Um, but I would say like Hate Eternal it actually gravitates towards uh, death more, more than Origin does. Um, Shelly, this might be a little bit out of your uh, forte in uh, metal, but do you have any thoughts on that? Well, yeah, I'm not familiar enough with these bands to sort of pass comment, but I will just say it is another illustration of kind of, you know, the unfortunateness of this term in terms of like it limiting the sound or kind of defining how an album is going to sound before it's even written. Um, I understand that we, you know, we need these words in order to kind of distinguish between different styles of death metal because there's a lot of it and it's a broad church. But um, yeah, sometimes we can fixate too much on the genre label to the point where it very much limits a band's identity. Yeah, I agree. Um, so, I, I mean, I would consider them like, you know, I, I mentioned the Berserker um on that uh thread where i would say berserker is you know death metal but it's only like partially death metal where you know, there's a lot of techno and grind influences with their sound um but you get into uh just the overall presentation of what the music communicates and it's like you can tell death metal is the main influence there yeah. um, so it's kind of interesting to talk about that a little bit. Um, but yeah, Hate Eternal is like not, not many people actually acknowledge like it's like the the way the, the songs are after the first album. Um, it's more about the texture than the riffs, which I would, you know, add that, you know, coreness to it. Um, where I think, you know, like Deathcore and Metalcore focuses on the, the textures and the textural components and percussion more than the the riffs and the riff structure and all that um so it's pretty interesting so i think we've uh covered quite a bit of you know ground today with a uh, scale it back and you know your personal thoughts on things um just kind of glancing over like one thing that we mentioned today is like you know the pandemic um with you know you starting your youtube channel i started this podcast um, just kind of having these other things to do um, during the pandemic. But you know what? There's a lot of people writing music right now. We have no idea about what's going to be coming out in the next couple of years. So I wouldn't say like metal's dead at all. Um, I think there's some freaks out there who may, uh, may surprise us. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, I would hope so. I really would hope so. Uh, I, I think that hopefully... Uh, one of the positives of this this uh, pandemic is that it could realign ourselves with uh, vitality and the idea that we do have a limited amount of time and that we should feel compelled to get our voices heard. Uh, 
so what I'm hoping from this is that people will try to get their expressions of who they are out instead of getting an expression of who they want people to perceive them as. And that's one of the, the, the problems with the pandemic as well is that we're so sheltered because of it that a lot of people will probably be writing music to try to get the audience to care about them. And, you know, you have to have that bit of confrontation in your music, which is going to be alienating in your, in, to your fan base if you are in the metal genre. And I, uh, th that's one of the things that I'm sorely missing is that, that the, the confrontation that forces you on a journey to somewhere you're unfamiliar with. All of the, the, the modern stuff is it's familiar territory and it's comforting. And I don't want to be comforted when I'm, when I'm listening to metal. And I hope that what people are working on now is a reflection of, of the trials that we're dealing with and how it's forcing us to think in different ways and that we should feel that we're, we have limited time and that we're endangered. And if that were to come across in upcoming metal releases, I would be ecstatic. I would love to hear it. Yeah, what I think metal focuses on as a whole is number one reality um where you have you know like black sabbath singing about you know different aspects of the harshness of life and all of that to what metal evolved into with um you know the the heyday was during like the cold war and all that for metal you know like the tail end of it and then you know extreme metal you know had some final statements after that but what i think metal actually represents is a, a great imagination, a great looking into the beyond uh, and fixating on it, like a Lovecraft story where you delve so far into the beyond where you're bordering what is intelligible and was, what isn't intelligible with that artistic statement. And you're, you're doing it in such a way that, you know, you're pulling your intuition into it, you know, you're, you know your motivators of who you are into the music. Um, and I, I think this pandemic could do that where, you know, there's some phenomenal musicians out there who may, you know, find their inner voice. They may come out and, you know, completely change the game. So I'm never going to say like metal's dead. Um, I think metal's always going to be alive. There's a, a lot of uh, like King Folly of Deceased. He always says whenever he ends a show is metal is alive and well. I don't think that's, you know, the public, ex you know, interpretation of metal like the mainstream consciousness of society you know factoring metal i think it's just because there are so many people out there where we look beyond the surface we look into the beyond and we have that spirit to us where we want to you know capture the element or the spirit of metal um so i think it's more of like an abstract thing than uh, uh, a tangible thing that you can actually pinpoint into mainstream consciousness. I just think it's there just like, you know, space exploration, like in the 1960s and seventies, we went to the moon and all that. We wanted to go into the beyond. I think it's part of the human condition to want to push the envelope and, you know, just take things as far as they can go. Um, and further, you know, there's always going to be the want the push to, get things you know further out there um so i wouldn't like we talk about like how metals waned over time in the mainstream consciousness 
Uh, the average Joe on the road would say like the newest Doom soundtrack for that video game is metal. It's more gent. Um, I hate gent, but um, you know. Mind if I do you mind if I jump on this one? Sorry, sorry, sorry I was rambling. Go ahead. No, it's fine. Um, just yeah, just to carry on with that. Like when I first started writing about metal, I wrote like stink pieces on so-called hipster black metal because it didn't have those elements that you you just mentioned. Like I felt like you know, everyone's holding this up as the new shining light of what black metal could be. And I like wanted to just get online and express my opinions about it. But then I started to realize that there is metal out there being made and I sort of make it my business to promote it and explain and hold it up. That's why I would jump on bands like the fighters, but there are plenty of others as well that are tapping into that. And I find that the message gets across much clearer when I hold up these artists um, and say, look, here's what they're doing, here's why it's fantastic, and here's why you should be into it as well, in the hope that more people are inspired by that, rather than um, me sort of sitting in a bunker and throwing projectiles at uh, certain bands that I don't think are doing metal as uh, you know, good service or whatever. I would rather you know, stick with the artists that I think are tapping into that. And it's happening already. I don't think we have to wait for the pandemic. I think there are artists out there. There's a lot of rubbish, admittedly, but... There are artists out there that are starting to push that envelope. And um, yeah, I find it very exciting. And it's one of the one of my favorite things about um, writing about metal in general is connecting up with these with these great musicians. And I think that uh, what you had described before, Jason, was the idea of metal and music in general being a transcendent experience. And that's the problem we have with modern metal is it's human. It's you can point out the human motives when you hear all of the modern players, you can tell when music is written for the audience. You can tell when it's written with a formula already cased in stone to get the most out of it from the people listening. And the good metal that we all love is about transcending the, the human experience as we know it currently. When you, bring out, when you bring about like space exploration and all that, wanting to become something bigger than what you are. Right now, people have the ego to think that they are as big as experience gets. And that is the problem because people are so stuck in their own headspaces that they don't want to transcend. And until they do want that, I don't think we're going to be seeing the multitudes of great metal records that we know that there is potential to be. Yeah, my, my, my main qualm is that generalization you made that you know people are stuck in their own headspaces is... That's not true. There, there's a, a lot of people who are not that are open to experience. Um, and I, I think this, I'm sorry to bring this up, but I think this, you know, the, the problem with some of your approaches with your YouTube channel, with, you know, getting the comment section of, you know, a thousand comments bashing you, um, is that you make these generalizations and you have to consider there's a lot of, there's the intuitive, the intuition of life is very broad and it's not something that we can actually rationalize just in our own selves. We do not know, you know, who's listening to our music, who's reading the comment sections, who's watching your YouTube videos. There could be, you know, some very profound voices out there and I don't want to ever lump them into a generalization that they're stuck in their own headspace um, sorry, I had to bring that up. I've had a couple of beers. I'm not trying to bash you or anything. Just the, the approach is very confrontational. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, appreciate that because, you know, they're, they're tired of, 
you know, like the OSDM and things like that, you know, being, you know, held in high regard and, you know, the modern flavor of metal, but there, there are some good voices out there and I don't want to exclude them ever from uh, being part of the conversation. Right. And, and I totally get your point. And you, you are very fair in saying that what I'm doing is too confrontational and it's not going to yield me the kind of audience that would be conducive to listen to what I'm saying. And when you look at, if I were to look at my video analytics, like I could see that people aren't tuning in for the whole episode and it's probably because I'm a blowhard. I totally get it. But when I, when I hit play uh, or when I hit record, rather, I, I don't have a script. I don't have uh, bullet points. For the most part, I just go. And w- what you're getting is going to be like that raw emotion. And th- there's reason behind it, of course. I try to have it be, uh, I try to have it dictate a point from where you go from A to Z and you can see the points I'm making. But it is emotional. You know, it's a, it's a genre I'm passionate about. It's, it, it's going to be something that's going to be getting that unfiltered uh, take. And, and I get that people aren't going to like my perspective. And I know that, like, the language I use in my titles and my approach is a bit dramatic. I get it. Um, but I also, that, that's, that's where I'm at. That's where I'm at with, with music right now, uh, not as just a player, but as a listener. I'm I'm starved for for material that will inspire me. If, if I really miss those days where I could, you know, like just put on anything and feel that I was gaining an experience that was vital. And it's all so hollow now. Like I know that there's bands out there, there's voices out there that will give me that that kind of experience, but I I, I miss it so much and I I need it and I'm I'm frustrated. You know, you hear that frustration in what I'm saying and uh, in the videos. And, and I, I do understand that when people will look at a, a title like Blood Incantation Sucks, if you're a Blood Incantation fan and you've defined your stance as a metal fan by them being your favorite band, you're going to be pissed off. Uh, but you also might click on the video and, and listen to some things and be like, you know, I hate this guy. But maybe he's right about a few things. Yeah, you and make I know a lot that's... of good points, Jerry. You make a lot of great points. And it was just, I just wanted to critique your uh, your approach with it, which you seem to acknowledge the the flaws of such an approach. With um, you're gonna you're gonna piss off more people than make them happy. I think you're you know preaching to a five percent of the uh, metal fan listener group. Um, Shelley had a thought on that. Uh, well, I was going to say, uh, in sort of looking at some of your videos, I'd say it's a shame that the, the negative ones tend to attract the most views because people are almost looking to get pissed off with someone online a lot of the time. But I also feel like the ones where you're, say, for instance, you analysed the suffocation track and talked about um, you know, the, the compositional techniques behind it, which is interesting, but it had much less views. And But I also feel like those views are more important than people just going to get angry about someone bashing blood incantation because those people that might actually you know gain a greater understanding of the mechanics behind what suffocation do will then go away and think about it and you might have less people doing it but the the views expressed are more important and that influence is more important that's why i make it my business to promote albums and artists that i think are doing something different and interesting rather than critiquing other popular artists too much because i feel like it's counterproductive to what i want to uh, get across within the metal community right and i i did do 
a few positive videos. I had a spiral architect video uh, where there was no real negative negativity on display. Uh, I had a, a video talking about uh, sinister then and now, and uh, the the stuff on cross the sticks. I tried to showcase why it worked, uh, as opposed to my videos that normally talk about why things don't work. Um, but I get where you're coming from, uh, and I do want to showcase more more positive videos. Uh, it's it is unfortunate that the ones that do gain the most traction are the ones that are controversial because they're negative. And I don't mean to be strictly negative. Uh, it's just, it's so hard to sift through all of the garbage, uh, you know, and, and try to find something that's worthwhile. And I, I, it, it's exhausting. It's exhausting to, to be like, I'm in the mood to hear something new in the metal genre. And you go on the YouTube rabbit hole and it's, it's all the same. And, uh, you know, I, I get worked up and I end up making a video that will uh, end up uh, going after the, 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 the media darlings of the genre because they are the ones that are steering the culture. And uh, I understand that it's going to be harsh and, and it's going to be combative. But if a, if a band that is so haphazardly put together is currently steering the culture, it needs to be exposed. Otherwise, it's going to continue and it's going to pollute everything else that has possible potential. And, uh, you know, I could go about it a much better way. I could be a little bit more adult about how I do it. Uh, well, I, I, think, said, I think if you were to actually show, like, uh, you know, obviously blood incantation is influenced by death, like early death and things like that. Um, if you were to show, like, their influences to, like, you know, compare them side by side to the average listener, the average listener would tell you the influences are better than, you know, this new iteration that they're hearing. Um, so I, I don't know. It's like, I'm not going to fucking, you know, be the nun smacking you on the wrist with a ruler saying, it's like, no, you can't be that mean to people. <laughs> or anything. Um, I just wanted to raise some concerns here because um, I think a lot of what you say is really good and very insightful. But the the approach, you know, it pisses off people. So, you know, I'm not going to tell you what to do. You're your own human being, your own, your own adult. You can continue, you know, lambasting uh, projects that you think fucking suck. You know, it's like that's your choice. And uh, but I, I'm optimistic. And I know it's, you know, kind of happy to say that. But I, I do think uh, let's wait a couple of years. I think there's going to be some good things coming out. Um, especially with this pandemic, a lot of, you know, you listen to the new Cannibal Corpse, you know, Cannibal Corpse has been just rehashing that same formula over and over and over and over, you know, because it's successful, but they actually put in some riffs in their new album. I'm not saying it's, you know, phenomenal or anything, but there's actually some riffs that weren't there, you know, like 10 years ago. So who knows what this pandemic is doing to a lot of musicians when they can't tour and all that. Um, so I'm not going to just like say like metal's dead and, you know, it's like just you know everything sucks now. Here's why. I'm, I'm be <laughs> optimistic. Um, right, so. and and the the reason, uh, like I said before, the reason that I take the approach I do is the best lessons I've learned in how to develop as a person and as a musician all across the board have been because I was confronted by harsh realities through people or through experience and. If someone holds your hand through critique, 
it's way easier to brush off than if you just really blindside them with it to the point where they might have to do some reflection. At least it was in my case. And uh, I, I understand that people will deal with conflict in various ways. But as far as from myself and as far as my experience that I've dealt with with other people in bands, the more you, you handhold and coddle, the more people just will not actually look towards growth. And uh, I don't expect that anything I say is going to get people to, uh, to really change anything about themselves, nor do I want it to. If you like blood incantation, you can continue to like it. I don't care. You know, it's fine. But as for heralding them as, uh, as a great death metal band, that's an entirely different thing than saying, I love blood incantation. And people need to divorce that, that, that concept from itself because it's it, it, no, a lot of, it, I used to come from that same perspective of music is purely subjective. If you like it, it's good to you. There is no inherent value. But I've learned that there is compositional strengths and there is compositional weaknesses and that, that those are rooted in how you're able to convey your thoughts to an audience. And if I hear bands that can't do that or deliberately display ways to, uh, to obfuscate the ability to do that, then, uh, then I'm going to go in on it because I can tell that this is, not, this is no longer an artistic statement. This is a fragmented mind just trying to get something across in hopes that it will get over. And that's when it ceases to become art. Yeah. Well, I think um, I'm sort of I'm sort of coming at it from the same angle, but I just take a different approach. Like I did review that Blood Incantation album, but generally now I just tend to ignore those kind of albums and artists that I don't think are, you know, that I think are just a bit of a mishmash and very confused compositionally. It's why I jump on bands like Mephitis and say, look, here's how it could be. Here's here's how metal could and should be written if you apply your own like identity to it. I think, yeah, my my way of like illustrating what's good and what's not is just to try and give like positive reinforcement to what I think does work and then just ignore stuff that's I think it doesn't work um, rather than just outright criticize it. But that's how yeah, I, and there will be. Yeah, definitely. You don't want to just shit on people just to shit on them. Um, you know, I would probably ignore shitting, you know, in public if I could. Um, so Jerry, I know you have a lot more points to make, and I think this episode can go on forever if you just, yeah. see. um, do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up? Uh, well, yeah, I will say that there are more positive videos to come. The stuff that I do love, I do want to showcase why I do love it. And I've done that a few times with a few various videos, but I do want to thank you guys for having me on and for listening to what I have to say. I know that I'm a bit of a windbag and, uh, I think that if anyone gives what I have to say, either listening to my music, listening to my videos, any of it is, I understand how valuable people's time is. And if you're giving any of that to me, I really do appreciate it. So I will take, like I said before, any of the criticism that I gain through what I do, I use it to adapt and become better at what I do. So I will take your points and, and, use it to filter who I already am in a better format. Uh, but there, the, as, as far as how metal discussion works, you know, we do want to 
champion what is great and we want to punish what isn't great. And it's, it, it's an, an unfortunate reality, but when you're passionate about something that will come across, but there will be more positivity to come. But once again, thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Uh, well, thank you, Jerry. Um, so if you're interested in Jerry's channel, it is scale it back on YouTube, or you can simply type in blood incantation sucks and it'll be the first video <laughs> there. And, uh, <laughs> Yeah, um, I'm not saying you have to be more positive or anything like that. Just kind of just phrase things. You know, it's up to you. It's like you're an adult. You can approach things however you want to. But, uh, yeah, it don't have to be all fucking flowers and sunshine. It's definitely fucking no. metal, the opposite of it. Um, so thank you very much for being on the program. And we also have uh, Shelly again. I uh, want to thank you for being on the program. Yeah, thanks very much. It's been a fascinating discussion, and I'll definitely – continue to check out scale it back in the future so yeah thanks guys very cool thank you very much uh both of you for being on the the episode here and i want to thank you for listening in today have a great rest of your day cheers thank you very much